Well, today has been a great, great day, man. I, I needed the worship today, the time with God's people. I'd rather gather with the Christians in the Lord's house than the Sooners at the Cotton Bowl. Come on now, help me. Much better day today than what I experienced yesterday, although life goes on. I want to remind you, we are praying for the Meredith family as we just did in the service. All month long, we're taking up a love offering. You can do that digitally online. Uh, you can do that through our website where you go on to give. You can do it through our app, or you can write in a designate. If you'll just put Merrick, M-A-R-E-K, medical fund. We will make sure this month we get and do what the insurance company won't do, the body of Christ will do. Amen? There we go. So, last Sunday, we talked about a concept that will be what wraps up this Sunday. This will be the last sermon in our series on talking with God at home. But I hope through this series, it's become a new discipline, a new habit. Uh, more than a discipline, a new blessing in your life is to be daily devoted to prayer. That you're talking with God at home personally and also with your family together. That we grow in that reality. So last Sunday, we learned that not only are we children of God, but as we become a part of the royal family, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And that being a part of the royal family is a royal blessing that brings a royal responsibility. Uh, we saw Peter would remind us that we are a not just a child of God, but we are a royal priesthood. That you in Christ are a priest. Now what is a priest? Don't get caught up in the terminology of today and think of clergy or think of somebody with a white collar. I want you to think of the reality of what a priest does. A priest is one who intercedes on behalf of others spiritually. And we have a high priest who is our model, one who prays for us every day. The Lord Jesus not only saved you, but he is your high priest interceding for you every moment of every day. And you and I have that same blessing to be a royal priesthood. So as we've been through the series, we've seen the reality of God's call in our life and God calling us into relationship with him. God calling us to be priests, to intercede on behalf of other people. And so I want you to take out some notes, either a sermon page, if you've got a bulletin today, or find something to write on. I want you to draw these two circles. We do this from time to time, and it's a great evaluation tool, RV and DV, or DV and RV. Now, what does that mean? Well, those two circles represent two different things. DV stands for declared values. All of us in this room have values that we declare, things that are important to us. Uh, things that we believe are important, the values of life. We declare that we are children of God through Christ. That's because God's word has declared that. God has made that possible. We declare that we should have fellowship, but we should not forsake the gathering of the saints. We declare that we should value fellowship with one another, and we declare value that we should be spending time in God's word. We declare this value that we should be people of prayer. Now, the RV is a different circle, and that stands for real values. What's the difference between declared values and real values? Well, if you look at the next slide, wherever those circles overlap, real values are what you really do. And we can declare all day long with our lips that this is a value in our life, but if we're not living it, it's not a real value. And wherever those two overlap, you can see the turquoise zone, that is reality. What I declare isn't real in my life. What I am and what I do is my reality. And so I want you to look at your turquoise zone and you declare prayer to be important. But what is it really in your life? 
how big is that turquoise zone? Is it just occasionally I pray? I just pray with my church on Sunday morning and when we meet in small group? Or is prayer really a reality in your life? When I was growing up, um, I had a loyal allegiance to a particular football. I'm not talking college now. I'm going to get off that because I don't need to be there today. But where I was is where all of America was in the 1970s. We had one football team in America, and it was who? Say it louder. Dallas Cowboys, of course. And so when we would get out to play, we didn't have technology. We didn't have things to do. We just had to go outside and play. And we were always playing Nerf football or pickup football in the front yard. And every one of us would be our greatest hero. Well, mine in those days was a guy by the name of Roger Staubach. The greatest quarterback of America's team of all time. Don't care what anybody says, he was and is the greatest. Now, if you don't know Roger Staubach, he won Super Bowls. He was the man, but he was used to create a phrase that all of us use today that I want you to watch the history of Roger Staubach. I want you to see this issue because I'm going to tell you today, whether you realize it or not, there are a lot of Roger Staubach Christians. What I mean by that? Watch a video. Oh, the Hail Marys. December 28, 1975, the NFC Divisional Championship game. Oh, love them. America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, trailing 14 10 to the Minnesota Vikings. 32 seconds left. All hope seems lost. Well, the Cowboys need a miracle. Now Staubach has to perform some kind of magic. Roger Staubach, one of the greatest Rogers mm -hmm. ever to take the field in any sport. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Roger Craig, just yeah. face it, it's true. He stepped back and then flung a pass as far as he could into the icy sky. He is going to go. Drew Pearson. A remarkable play, which we now know as the Hail Mary. 50 yards away from Peters, and back in that huddle, what is Roger Starbuck saying to his football team? Drew is such a great player with great hands. Uh, basically, I just uh, told Drew, just try to make a move and go deep. So we were in the shotgun and just pumped to the left to try to move Paul Krause a step or two over. After I pumped there, I threw a little bit short, and uh, Nate Wright slipped. Not saying Drew Pearson gave him a little shove, but I'm not saying he didn't either. <laughs> the Vikings are claiming offensive pass interference, but no flag was thrown. Now, if you're a Viking fan, it's Drew pushed off, but if you watch the film, it really wasn't any obvious push off. Drew Pearson made a great catch, caught it on his hip. After the game, they asked what I was thinking. I said, well, I closed my eyes and said a Hail Mary. The AP writer wrote the story that the Hail Mary pass won the game. The term Hail Mary started that moment in the NFL. I'm kind of proud of that. Hail Mary answered again! Roger Staubach Christians. What I mean by that? What I mean is where the whole saying Hail Mary came from. He said, I, I, I sent up a Hail Mary prayer. 
for some people, that's all their prayer life is. The only time we engage God is when we're in trouble, when we have a challenge that we cannot master, and all of a sudden we need God. So we call out on God with our Hail Marys, if you will, and we throw up a prayer to heaven and we're begging God to follow through. Prayer is more than just a distress call. It's more than just a 911. God is there not just in the times of trouble, although he is. God is there every day wanting to be a part of your story. Don't be a Roger Staubach Christian that only throws up a prayer when you're in trouble. Jesus is going to teach us the reality of the difference between religious prayers, Hail Marys, and real prayers. He's going to challenge us to grow up to leave the elementary things of prayer behind and to really dive deeper as we grow up and mature in our prayer life. You know, all of us are growing up, and uh, as we grow up, we leave those elementary things behind. Now, I will tell you in prayer, I've, I've been a part of some special prayer times with my kids and my grandchildren when they were little children, childlike faith, as they'll just pray their hearts. And so I'm not saying there isn't a childlike faith there, but I am saying we should be maturing in our prayer life, that we should leave behind the immaturity of a shallow walk with God and a shallow prayer life and take on a more mature prayer life. So Jesus is going to teach. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew 6. Find Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus is going to teach the reality of what real prayer looks like. I think all of us in this room would say, man, I, 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 could, I, I could grow more in my prayer life. I need to grow more in my prayer life. That's been part of the emphasis is take seven days a week and pray individually, five days a week minimum, but we're just making the seven-day challenge. Take every day and grow in prayer. Jesus had to confront the religious people of his day. He would also confront the religious spirit of our day. The difference between hypocritical religious prayer an authentic, real prayer. So he says in verse 5, And when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. Did you know that you can pray and be like a hypocrite? That you can pray and still disappoint the Lord. He says, For you're not to be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they'll be seen by people. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Jesus begins to teach more about prayer, and he talks about hypocritical prayer and authentic prayer. There's a difference. Religious prayer or real prayer. The Pharisees were very committed to prayer. They were very disciplined in prayer. They prayed way more than all of us in this room combined, probably. They prayed at least a minimum of three times a day. Still in the Middle East, where there is the Muslim faith and even uh, a Jewish, you'll find that they'll stop morning, noon, and night, and there will be a call, and everybody goes to their knees, and they pray. Well, they were doing that in their city, in their town. They were praying. They knew they were supposed to pray, but it started to become hypocritical prayer, religious prayer, a duty, not a blessing. They started praying so that they could prove to other people that they were spiritual. They lost the heart of prayer. Even though they were praying a lot, even though they were praying regularly and daily, seven days a week, they were missing out on the heart of God in their prayer. So Jesus is going to teach. Take a look at what he taught. Go to verse 6 now. Jesus has confronted the reality that there's two kinds of prayer. 
religious and real. So now he teaches, and as he begins to teach him, we need to dig in here. You want to grow up in prayer, listen to what Jesus taught. And he begins by saying, look at verse 6, So as for you, when you pray, not when your parents pray, not when the pastor forces you to pray seven days a week, when you pray. Jesus is assuming they understand the authentic call in a Christian's life is to commune with God through prayer. He said, so when you pray, as for you, so let me ask you, how's that going? Where's that turquoise zone? Are you praying or do you just desire to pray? Are you faithfully spending time every day with the Lord? Make that your daily prayer. So when you pray, now, now Jesus is going to teach them. So when you pray, and don't you know they took out their notebooks, and don't you know they're zoning in and say, okay, God's going to teach us. The Lord's going to teach us how to connect like he does. We've been watching him go every day to the, to the mountain or to the wilderness. He's always slipping away. He's always spending time with the Father. He has something we need. Lord, teach us to pray. And here he is teaching again. And so they take out their notes and they say, okay, Lord, teach us. Now, what would you expect God to teach next? Well, we think that prayer is the words we use. Or we think prayer is the amount of time we use. That's what we think of when we think of prayer. I don't pray long enough. I don't pray the right way. I don't even know what to pray. I don't know what words to pray. So Jesus, surely he's going to help them with the words. Surely he's going to help them give them structured time on how to be better prayer warriors. So watch Jesus teach. Look at the rest of verse 6. So as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room. Close your door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now take a look. Notice Jesus didn't teach him what words to pray. He didn't say, guys, don't be like them and just pray meaningless. Here are the words that I want to hear. Here's what you need to say to the father. Here are the words. No, he didn't talk about the words. He didn't teach them when to pray. Hey, you better make sure you pray at 6 a.m. every morning. You pray at noon every, not every afternoon, and you pray in the evening. He didn't teach them about the time to pray. What did Jesus draw their attention to? He said, if you really want to connect with God, you better have a special place. He talked about where to pray. Don't just pray wherever you want and whenever you want and just do it as a duty. Find a special place. Do you have that special place? This place he talks about is an inner room. It, it speaks of an undivided, an undistracted place. It speaks of making sure that you, and that's harder and harder to find in the culture in which we live. Finding a place where there's no noise, where there's no distractions, where there's nothing that catches my attention. And sometimes that is a closet. Sometimes that's closing a bedroom door. Sometimes that's finding a, a place outside on the patio before the sun rises and anybody else can get to you. It's setting the phone and the technology aside and just getting that space so you can connect with God. I think it's something important here that Jesus was teaching. It doesn't look that important, but it's a big deal. What Jesus was saying is the most important thing to God is not your words and not how much time you give him as much as it is the quality of that time that you give him.
that you would show God how important he is by making that a special undivided space where you want to connect with God. He isn't looking for a formula prayer. He isn't looking for all these crazy long spiritual words like propitiation and redemption and sanctification. He just wants to have time with you. I think we get so hung up thinking prayer is the words we use. You know, I want to learn to pray like they pray, or I need to pray bigger words or more spiritual prayers. No, he just wants to be with you and you alone. Yesterday was not a fun time to watch a particular football game, but it was a great time because we got to hang out with family. Now, we commiserated together. We were unspiritual together. We endured it together, but we enjoyed the time. We started talking about other things. We talked about some great things that we were all doing in our lives, and we didn't have to rehearse it, and we didn't have to say the same conversations we said last time we got together. It was fresh, and it was just in the moment, and it was the greatest of times. Sometimes I think prayer, we put this edge on it that I don't know if I'm using the right words. Are you kidding me? We didn't worry about our words yesterday. We just shared our hearts together. And it was real. That's what it is when we connect with God. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry about the words. It isn't about the time. It's about the where. Just find some time where you can get away and connect with your Father. Now, Jesus just didn't pray it. He also modeled it. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke. Hold your place. We're going to come back there, and, and, and we'll come back there. But first, go to Luke chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. Luke chapter 5, 15 through 16. Now when you get to Luke 5, it's early in Jesus' ministry. The word is starting to spread that he is a miracle worker. Matter of fact, right before we read verse 15, Jesus has just healed a leper. His leprosy is gone. It's a man who's been healed and apparently he was ate up with leprosy. And now he's whole again and the word has spread. Look at it, verse 15. So the news about Jesus, him, was spreading even farther, and larger crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And so we find God the Father blessing the obedience of the Son. He's healed a leper, and there's more need, and all of a sudden Jesus has one of the greatest opportunities at the very beginning of his ministry, one of the largest crowds that has ever appeared. How does Jesus respond? Look at verse 16. How did he respond in this great opportunity? It says, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and to pray. I would have expected Jesus to step into the opportunity. I would have expected Jesus to seize the day. And, and, and if I'm Jesus, I'm thinking, man, I've never had a bigger crowd to preach to. Man, I've got to give them the word. But Jesus understood the only way I can make a difference in public is to have my time in private. What Jesus did in that moment is he didn't get captured by the distractions of the immediate. He was committed to a time with his heavenly father in private. And so he had to get away. He had to check out. To be what he needed to be in that ministry moment, he needed to first let the father minister to his soul. Before he can minister to others. I think sometimes we get so caught up in serving God and doing stuff for God, we forget about time with God. 
We're missing out on the power time that leads to the purpose time of serving him in this world, not Jesus. Jesus pointed to the real secret of prayer, which is spending time alone, undistracted with God. Do you have that, that undistracted time? Do you have that time where you put everything else away in a certain place where all you can do is hear the voice of God? John 15, verse 7, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus said this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That picture he gives of abide, right now you're abiding in a certain chair. To abide means to dwell there. And Jesus said, if you dwell with me, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, listen, his word is what gives us his will. His word is what reveals to us what he is saying in our lives. That time with God, if we abide in that time, that quiet place, that wilderness place, that inner closet, that then we connect with the heart of God and everything changes. You know, when I hang out with my guy friends, we talk about guy stuff. We don't talk about Pinterest. We don't talk about the latest movie on the Hallmark Channel. We don't do that. If they do, they get kicked out of the guy group. They're not allowed back anymore. You hang out with guys, you talk with guys. When I've hung out with my girls from time to time, we'll talk about the Hallmark, or I'll listen to them talk about the Hallmark Channel. When I'm hanging out with the staff, we talk about ministry stuff. And when I hang out with God, I don't talk to God about my guy stuff and what my girls or stuff is and I mean, I'll talk about something, but, but I talk about God's stuff. That's all prayer is. Hanging out with a father and talking to God about God's stuff. How do I know what God's stuff to talk about? He said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. I let God speak to me through his word. I, I get to that place and I spend time alone. And I begin in the word to let the word of God speak to me, his revealed will. I let it speak into my heart. And then as he speaks, then I'm speaking back about God's stuff. What God has placed before me. May we be committed to the right stuff. May we talk about the right stuff and the right place undistracted. Problem is, we're Roger Staubach Christians. We only call on God when there's 38 seconds left in the game. We only call on God when we need a miracle. We only call on God when we're desperate. Most of you, I would assume, in this audience have what they call a smartphone. And when your phone rings, what's the first thing you do? You look at the screen. Why do you look at the screen? Because you want to know who's calling. Take a look at this. If you get this on your screen, what are you doing? What are you doing with that? You, you picking up the phone call? Oh, I'm already bitter. I, I get those 80 times a day. I had a guy in the first service when I used the illustration, came up to me and he said, Hey, I, I used to be bitter like that, Pastor, and I've changed my whole heartbeat. I call it, tell a marketer about Jesus. Instead of them being a telemarketer that's messing in my world, I'm going to mess in their world. And so I pick up every call now and I tell a marketer about Jesus. He said, man, I've had some crazy good calls since all that happened. But my point is this, when you get that unknown caller, you, you know the only reason, why are they calling you? They call them to tell you they're praying for you? They call to tell you that you've won a million dollars? 
No, they're calling you because they want something from you. Spam calls. Roger Staubach calls. Hail Mary's wanting something from you. What if, what if that's the only time God hears from us? The only time the phone rings in heaven is when we need something from God. I hope that daily your connection with God is not a Roger Staubach moment, a spam call, but just connecting with God about God's stuff. So what does that look like? Where, where, where does that go? Go to verse 8. Jesus keeps teaching. He says, so don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus says, okay, you want to know about prayer? You don't want to be hypocritical in prayer? Just get real in prayer. Find a, real, find a place where you get undivided, undistracted. Get there. And when you get there, don't worry about the words. Don't worry about how long. Just talk about the God stuff. Abide in him and his word in you. And, and the rest will take care of itself. And he said, oh, by the way, when you talk to God, you don't have to clue him in on what's going on necessarily. He already, he already knows. Matter of fact, your high priest has already been praying over it before you even brought it to him. Now, do bring it to him. He does want us to bring those things to him, but he wants you to know he already gets it. He already knows. So sometimes we're spending that time with God. If he already knows, why do we need to pray? Well, because God wants to talk about it. Because God wants to reveal his will in it. So as we're praying, we do that not to convince God of what his will should be, it is to discover what God's will should be. A lot of times when we're talking about God's stuff, we already know what his will is. He's already revealed it. As we're reading the word, he's already showed us. This is my will. When I'm reading that passage in Philippians, it says, my God will meet all my needs according to riches and glory. That's his will. So when I'm talking about it, I say, God, thank you that you meet my needs. And then I talk to him about those needs. So God, you know we need this. We know the Merediths need a miracle in healing of the brain and also financially. And so, God, we, we believe that you're the great provider. Lord, we thank you for how you're going to provide. That conversation is according to his will revealed in his word. Not according to my feelings, not my disappointment in an insurance company, or not the reality of the long, thick medical bill we just got in the mail. It's according to his word. That's his will. So lots of times when I'm conversing with God, I'm talking about his revealed will that he has spoken through his word, that his Holy Spirit is illuminated in my heart, and we talk about his will, his word. And then there's times where I'm in that conversation, we're talking God stuff, and I'm not exactly sure what his will is. That's another reason we pray. It isn't about the words, it isn't about the time, it's about connecting with the heart of God. And so sometimes I just got to say, God, I don't know what your will is in this moment or in this matter. But I yield to it, God, not my will, but your will be done. And over time, as we talk daily, God does reveal his will. Let me give you an example. Apostle Paul was praying. He prayed every day. He prayed often. He's teaching us through many of these scriptures, how to pray. And as he's praying, he's praying at one time, and he says, Lord, something new's happened in my life. I've got this thorn in my flesh, and Lord, it is painful. And Lord, I think it's keeping me from presenting the gospel or getting the gospel to the people you've called me to. So God, I'm praying for your healing. God, remove it. Next day, he 
connects with God or next time he's praying he connects with God again and that thorn's still there Lord I know you heal Lord I know you provide my every need Lord I really need this thorn gone thorn's still there he prays again because that's what we do we spend time with God talking about God's stuff he isn't throwing out a Hail Mary he's just talking to his father daily and it says he prayed three times the third time he prays the same thing Lord I'm still trying to figure out your will here and over time as he spent time with the father God revealed to him oh I've got a bigger plan I'm going to teach you something you've never learned before through this Lord I want you to understand I'm the Lord of this but I'm allowing it to remain because when you're weak that's when you experience my strength like never before Paul walked away from that time with the Lord with a new understanding and with a new reality and he began to pray according to God's will so that will be your will Lord so I would rather boast in this issue this weakness that's in my life because I get to brag on your strength and your power so he learned to pray the will of God as he walked with God a lot of times we know the will of God a lot of times we got to discover the will of God but the beautiful thing is this as you abide in him and as you abide in his word that will become crystal clear let me tell you this you really want to know how to pray and you really want to grow up and pray pray what you already know to pray about God has told us already what we should be praying about he tells us in scripture that we are ministers of reconciliation every day we ought to be praying as royal priests for those who need the Lord for those who are separated from God in their sin and need to be reconciled back to God through Christ we need to be praying for them and we need to be praying for us that God would use us in their life to see them come to know the Christ who lives in us we should be praying about that the Bible tells us that we're to encourage one another day after day after all day every day so we should be praying about that when we're talking to God God use me today to encourage who can I encourage today and maybe there's somebody on your list and you're using a prayer journal and you know this person needs encouragement right now in their life you pray as a royal priest and you pray what you already know is God's will and how you can encourage them there are other issues of prayer that we can be praying about that we should be praying about those God things that God has already revealed God told his disciples guys when we pray when you pray pray that you don't enter into temptation he warned him and he warned him and he warned him are you praying daily that you won't enter into temptation that you won't be Satan's little toy that you won't cave to sin we should be praying about that God stuff we should be praying that God would use us for his glory we should be praying that we would be good stewards of the family both our physical family and our church family that God has given us there are plenty of things plenty of God things to talk about so what will you do from here is it just gonna be a four-week emphasis where we come under conviction that we need to pray more or will we let the Lord teach us to be the prayer warriors the royal priests that God has called us to be and if we're gonna be the royal priests we're called to be we better be connecting with our high priest to equip us to be the royal priest so our challenge is the same actually we're changing I'm changing it moving forward it's not a 752 prayer it's a seven prayer seven days a week praying in your place finding that place 
for you to connect with your Heavenly Father. But also seven days a week that you're praying for your family or with your family. Seven days a week that if you're married, you're praying with your spouse too and praying over them and blessing them. And if you don't have one and God wants you to have one in the future, you better start praying now. Seven, just seven. Keep it simple. Praying every single day. You say, well, I just don't know what to pray. It doesn't matter what the words are. What matters is where that you find that place. You just get away and get one-on-one with God. And then just talk to God about God's stuff. Abide in Him. Open up His Word. Let His Word speak to you and just talk to God as He talks to you. Would you be willing to pray about that? Remember when we pray, here's the acrostic again, P-R-A-Y. When you're spending time with the Father, P, praise His holy name. Praise Him for who He is. The R, make request of God because of what He does, because of how He demonstrates His power. A, admit where your heart is and get real with God. Don't be religious. Get real. And then, as you close out that time with the Father, yield. Yield to His will being done in your life as it would be in heaven. Do that every day. And you watch God do something fresh in your life. Let's do that. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray. Let's pray. Maybe your prayer today before you leave is, Lord, I commit to that seven challenge, to pray every day. I'm not asking you to commit for an hour or two hours or three hours. It's not about the time. It's not about the words. But designating a special place every day to get alone with God as Jesus did when he walked this earth and maybe today that's your prayer you need to make that commitment you've been immature in your prayer life it's time to grow up it's time to make that commitment Lord I desire to spend time with you and talk about God's stuff maybe you have a different need a different spiritual need maybe you need a church home a church family maybe you need a savior to save you from your sin Maybe you need somebody to pray with you, like we prayed with the Meredith's earlier. I I appreciate them desiring for their church family to come along and to pray in this special time. We come and we pray. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you need to come. So I want to pray for you. Alex will begin to sing. We'll stand. You need to come for any reasons. Our staff are here. We'll connect you with somebody who will pray with you. Or if you need to join the church, whatever it might be, Lord, be blessed. As we, your children, honor your voice and what you've spoken to us today whatever you choose to do in this space god do it now in jesus name amen let's stand together staff are here you need to come you come